Hello, Good Hope. Welcome to our Sunday worship service. I'm Dr. Richard Harris. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, and I'm so glad to get to, to come and, and to talk with you, teach you, preach to you today, share God's Word uh, as what God has been speaking to me and putting on my heart uh, this last couple of weeks to share with you. Well, today uh, I want to talk about the subject being blessed by the blood. All right? I want to ask you a question. Have, have you ever known someone who, as we would say, followed in their father's footsteps? Uh, and when we say that, we're not saying it in a, in a, in a good way, usually. Uh, but rather, what we, what we mean is they've picked up the traits, the bad traits, usually is what we're talking about, of their fathers or their grandfathers or their mothers, and some of the bad habits, some of the weaknesses, maybe some of the strengths also. But have you ever have you ever watched things happen to people in their families, generation after generation after generation? I've I've watched this. You know, we 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 know we know a lot about genetics. We know that, for instance, heart disease is passed from one generation to the next to the next. Uh, as, as, susceptibility to cancer the same the same way we know that there are genetics and i believe in science and i believe that's that's absolutely true but i also believe that there can be spiritual things passed from generation to generation to generation and we don't really talk about that all that much in the church when i wrote my book about uh, about my 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 joining uh, years ago, decades ago, uh, I joined the Ku Klux Klan. I was very racist, and then then the blood of Christ came and cleansed me, and I met Jesus, and I got out of it, thank the Lord. Uh, but when I wrote my book, I called it One Nation Under Curse, because something that organization actually taught was that that there were curses that passed through generations. Now, where do they get such an odd idea? Uh, they got it from the Bible. That's where they got it. And uh, that's why I called my, my book One Nation Under Curse. And uh, if you'd like to read more about generational curses and kind of get a hand on it, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a decent book to read. I think it will give you a real-life example of how some of these things actually work. But we want to talk about we want to talk about generational curses and how they can be broken in your life and in the lives of your children and your grandchildren. Let's get going. My, first, my Our key verse is going to be Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 and 6. Now, it's not the answer, but what it does is it provides us a setup for the problem itself. Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6, here's what it says. You must not bow down to them or worship them. Talk about idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Did you hear what he said about the third and fourth generation? That's talking about generational curses. There are both curses and blessings. Now, we as Christians, we love to talk about the blessings of God. 
we we don't often talk about the fact that there are curses. And if you believe in blessings, you pretty much have to believe that there are curses as well. They they they're both talked about in the same Bible. So what is a generational curse? What do we mean? Well, let me give you what one uh, one or two theologians believe about it. I think they've got a, a decent uh, handle on this. What is a generational curse? What am I talking about? They define it as an uncleansed pattern of sin. Pattern of sin. That's important. That is passed down from generation to generation, after, uh, often gaining strength and affecting members of that family and all who come into a relationship with that family. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, that can't apply to me because I can go back in my, in my family tree and my history and I know that all of my ancestors were godly uh, people. They were righteous people. They loved the Lord. So I don't have anything to worry about. Well, let's, let's think about that because that was the first thought that came to my mind is, no, no, no. I knew my grandparents. My grandfather and grandmother, uh, uh, they were... They were in the uh, Methodist Episcopal Church, and then they would come from the Anglican Church over that. Sunday school teachers, trustees of the church that would be like like deacons in, in our church. No, they nah, they were godly people. But then I started thinking about it, and I started doing the math. And the math is a little bit scary, folks, because when we think we know our our, our ancestors... Yeah, let's do the math real quick. Okay, so this is a math test. Uh, you, I'm going to do it. You can do it in your head, but you can follow me along, and there won't be a test afterwards. Okay, don't worry about that. I'm going to give you the correct answer. Okay, all right, so let's go back one generation. Okay, that would be your parents. How many parents do you have? Well, you have two. Okay, so two. So there's two ancestors. Second generation, go back two generations, that would be your grandparents. How many grandparents does everyone have? They may not have even known their grandparents, but they have four grandparents. Add that to the two, now we're up to six. Go back three generations, your great-great-grandparents. How many great-great-grandparents do you have? Well, you had eight. And you add that eight to the six, now we're up to 14 ancestors. But the Bible says it can go one more level, and that would be your great-great-grandparents. Four generations back, that's, a, that's 16. You had 16 great-great-grandparents. That brings us up to a total of 30 ancestors. Now, most of us never even knew our great-great-grandparents. Right? Most, certainly, most I doubt that anyone knew all 16 of their great-great-grandparents. I never knew my great uh, my great grandparents. Uh, I've never known anyone who has known all thirty of those ancestors going back four generations. Now, do you really think that all thirty of them lived godly lives, were totally committed, sold out to Jesus? All thirty of them. The odds, the odds aren't very good, are they? Okay, that's why I said the math is a little bit scary. So we want to explore that, okay? And what, what is the answer to generational sin or generational curses? Let's start by looking at the first curse and the first solution. The first curse came because of the sin of Adam. 
And we are in the family line of Adam and the implications and consequences of that first curse uh, due to Adam's first sin, they're still being passed down. We call it living in a fallen world. We, we call it living in a, a sinful world. Okay, It's still being passed down from the, from the time of Adam. Genesis 3.17 And to Adam, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit I told you not to eat, I have placed a curse on the ground. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Now I'm going to pass right over that part of that verse that says that because Adam listened to his wife. I'm just going to pass that over, all right? We're going to get because our subject is generational curses here. Okay, now you notice the curse, uh, you know, that when Adam and Eve sinned, immediately, though, God made a way to break that sin, okay, to handle it, to, to nullify the curse. And it says in Genesis 3.21, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. That's important. God killed an animal and made them coats of skin. He shed blood because the blood was the answer to the curse. Life is in the blood. And once Adam and Eve fell into spiritual death through sin... Only the substitute of blood sacrifice could temporarily atone for those sins. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 and 5. Another instance. At harvest time, okay, some years later, at harvest time, Cain, Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, Cain brought to the Lord a gift from his farm produce. So in other words, he sacrificed, he brought a sacrifice. While... Abel, the other son, brought several choice lambs from the best of his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his offering, but he did not accept Cain and his offering. This made Cain very angry and dejected. We all know the story of Cain and Abel. So when Cain and Abel came, comes upon the scene in Genesis chapter 4, they knew they had, all that had gone before them. They knew about their parents' sin and how God answered for, that, for the curse through the blood uh, but when it came time for the sons to make their sacrifices and bring their gifts to the Lord, well, Cain ignored the blood sacrifice uh, idea, and instead he brought the vegetables which he had grown. Abel brought a lamb. He understood blood sacrifice was necessary. Cain chose to ignore that there would be a curse for sin. You know, there's a lot of people today that ignore that there's any kind of a curse. Uh, for sin. You know, well, that happens to other people, but nothing will ever happen to me. You know, I won't ever uh, have to experience the effects of, of my sin or my turning away from the Lord. That's what people think. I don't know why, but we all think we're so special that, well, we're going to escape it. Nobody es escapes it. Nobody. Okay. So that's what he said. You know, I don't believe I need to shed blood. I don't believe there, there is a curse. But his brother's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's sacrifice was not accepted because he refused to go by way of the blood. You know, if you refuse the truth, you'll believe a lie. And you'll be just as deceived as Cain was. So Cain was deceived. We know the sad story. He killed his brother in a jealous rage. And do you remember what God said when he confronted Cain about that murder? Genesis 4.10, but the Lord said to Cain, 
What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Wow. Yeah. What breaks the curse? The blood. Whose blood? The blood of the lamb, the sacrifice, Christ. What breaks the curse for over your family? The blood of the lamb. What breaks the curse of, of inheriting bad things from the past? The blood of the lamb, Jesus. That brings us to the ultimate solution. Sin is never fair, but sin is very predictable. Sins that are repeatedly committed are like weeds planted in the heart. You know, you commit a sin, and it's the only time, and you repent, and you, you never do that again, then that's one thing. But if you commit a sin, and it just keeps, and you keep doing it over and over and over, you're developing a habit, a habit with that particular sin. And, you know, it's just like weeds. You know, you can mow the weeds down, but they're just going to crop back up. You know, you've got to get to the root of the problem. You know, you've got to dig them out. Remember, the Bible teaches that the deeds of the fathers, uh, will, the generations, will pass down three or four generations after they have died. And how do they show up? Well, they show up as, as weaknesses or inherited weaknesses or sinful tendencies within children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, even great-great-grandchildren. The things that, that you do now has an effect on people that you, your descendants, that you probably will never, ever live long enough to meet. Think about that. Okay? So the life you live has an impact. It, 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 it just keeps on going. So if that sinful tendencies, if those sinful tendencies are indulged in and the curse isn't broken, then it starts that three to four generation cycle. Okay? And so someone has to break that in their life. But if they don't break it, then it starts three to four more generations from that generation on, and it just keeps going on. Look at Hebrews 9.14. You know, you have to fight. You, you've heard the saying, you fight fire with fire. Well, I'll tell you what. You fight a bad bloodline with a good bloodline. Where are we going to get a good bloodline that's powerful enough to fight the generational curses, the bad bloodline. Hebrews 9.14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our hearts from deeds that lead to death so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. He allowed his blood to be shed so that there could be power over those bad bloodlines in our lives. Hebrews 9.23, that is why earthly tent, that is why the earthly tent and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with a far better sacrifice than the blood of animals. And it's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, sins were, were dealt with through the blood of goats and sheep and bulls. In the New Testament, the New Covenant, where we live, sins are dealt with through the blood of Christ, our sacrifice. So what is the common denominator as we wrap this up? The common denominator is blood. We no longer have to live by the iniquities and the generational curses 
being defeated by sin because Jesus became your blood sacrifice. His physical body was sacrificed and his perfect blood was offered to God for your sins and iniquities and my sins and iniquities. Thank God, thank God that he provided Jesus as our sacrifice. Isaiah 53, 5, but he, meaning the sacrificial lamb, Jesus, he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. Isaiah 53, 6, all of us, all of us, that's you, that's me, all of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the guilt and sins of us all. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. The blood of Jesus is all-powerful. The blood of Jesus is devastating to the family sins in your bloodline. To be effective, however, the blood of Jesus has to be applied. Oh, well, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Well, have you found out yet that accepting Jesus as your Savior is only the first step? Only the first step? Christ will forgive you of your sins, and you'll be born anew, and you'll be a part of God's kingdom. But do you realize there's still struggles to deal with? There's still sin in your life that you have to deal with. There's still temptation that you give into. There's still those things that have to be dealt with on a daily basis. So yes, the blood of Christ, if you are a Christian, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, then yes, you're on your way to heaven. Oh, but it's not over yet. There's still lots of work to be done, and it's the blood of Christ, the same blood that saved you and provided salvation, is the same blood that's going to provide righteousness for you and cleanse that bloodline. So you're not passing down these bad habits and these bad, these bad sins, sinful tendencies onto the next bloodline or the next generation and, and the next generation. It is only the blood of Christ that brings you salvation, and it is only the blood of Christ that can overcome curses in your bloodline. God, through the blood of Christ, he broke, he broke that curse of racism that was in my life and my family's life. He broke it for me and for my generation, at least my, my, my personal generation and my kids. He broke it in my children's life. However, if my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren, if they start picking up on that again, it's going to start right over again. That's why it's so important. How you live affects your children, your grandchildren, even your great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren that you probably will never meet. How you live affects those next generations. And how the previous generations lived, that affects you. But whatever you find in your life today, know that the blood of Christ is powerful enough to break it. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ. And Lord, we plead the blood, the blood, the blood. Lord, we plead the blood over any kind of inherited family weaknesses that we might have 
inherited from generations past. We plead the blood over any ten, uh, sinful tendencies that we might be experiencing. And then, Lord, we plead the blood of Christ over our children and our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, even our great-great-grandchildren. We may never see them, but we know that they need the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your power. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word today. And Lord, give us a great week. We have every reason to be positive and to hold our heads up high because we are following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We love you. We love you. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.